father is not funny anymore. Come on, Count Dracula wouldn't say he couldn't remember. I read that book. Morno gave it to me. Well, now, this is a golden opportunity. Speaking as a vampire, what do you make of the book's technical merits? It made me sad. Why sad? Because Dracula had no servants. I think you missed the point of the book, uh, Count Orlok. <laughs> Dracula hasn't had servants in 400 years, and then a man comes to his ancestral home, and he must convince him that he that he is like the man. He has to feed him when he himself hasn't eaten food in centuries. Can he even remember how to buy bread, how to select cheese and wine? And then he remembers the rest of it. How to prepare a meal, how to make a bed. He remembers his past glory, his armies, his retainers, and what he is reduced to. The loneliest part of the book comes when the man accidentally sees Dracula setting his table. Yes, welcome to the German episode of Movie Matchup, The Pretension. As always, I'm your host, Herr Troy, and with me is Mr. Herr Anderson. Uh, wie geht es Ihnen, Mr. Anderson? Uh, ich heiße Brad. Is that right? Yeah. That's my German for you. It's, it's, it's not so good, I must no. say. Um, and that's after six years of German, too. Yeah, I've got uh, three years, and that's the best I can come up with. And I even had to look up some of these words. But, uh, hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the second episode of Spooktober. We um, spent some time on the last episode talking about uh, French's uh, – French? French. <laughs> French's Inside and Japan's Audition. This week we're picking um, two films, one from Germany. The other one is a film based about a film from Germany. And so, Brad, you want to let everybody know what we're talking about this week? Uh, yeah, we are looking at the uh, 1922 um, German um, expressionist film Nosferatu, and we are looking at the 2000 film um, Shadow of a Vampire, which is based on Nosferatu, the filming of Nosferatu. Sure. And, you know, Nosferatu is a very, very significant milestone in cinema history. And i got to be honest, Brad, I, I really did not feel comfortable uh, just – you and I talking about this. So we went out of our way to probably get one of the greatest film connoisseurs on the internet. So without it, with, with just, I, I, I'm speechless. I really am. I have to introduce one of my favorite 
I don't know, internet celebrity podcasters, and that would be the Reverend Scott. How are you doing tonight? Oh, wow. I, after all that, I wasn't sure you were still talking about me. <laughs> no, of course. The, you know, there have been two, two times this year that I have just been starstruck. The, um, one of those happened this summer in Louisville when I got to meet, uh, meet Jim Kelly, Black Belt Jones himself. Ooh, um, wow. That, that was awesome. But the other time was um, standing in a hotel room in Indianapolis during Whorehound and uh, standing next to this tall gentleman. And as soon as he started talking, I'm thinking, man, I, I know that voice. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I just – is that Reverend Scott? And he's like, yeah, I'm Reverend Scott. Just blew my mind just to meet you in person. And uh, I, I'm a big fan, i got to tell you. Well, that's – yeah, I think it was even weirder for me for someone to know me without having met them or talking to them before. That's that's super, super well, weird. Hey, tell but it's everybody. cool, too. It's good. Well, yeah. I mean, um, tell everybody about yourself a little bit. I'm, I'm sure everybody already knows, um, but uh, you, you're involved in a lot of different shows. Yeah, well, I, well so – there's a lot of shows involved on the the palaver.com uh you know forums that, that kind of a culmination of all these different podcasts and uh even before that existed um i i started out well right now i do lots of stuff uh, a weekly segment uh called holy shit with reverend scott on uh outside the cinema uh nice uh, little cult movie podcast it's a great and then podcast. also yeah, and I also do uh, another kind of weekly segment uh, of sorts over on the Are You Serious podcast, which is the main host of Are You Serious is the um, co-host on Outside the Cinema. So it's kind of how I got involved with that one as well. Um, but it's it's vastly different uh, as opposed to a cult movie podcast. That one's kind of a pop pop culture podcast so i get to go do totally different stuff on that one so i i find that just as fun in a totally different way so even though i'm not per se a podcaster i probably put in as much work as a lot of podcasters do unfortunately yeah because you you do uh, your segments are really composed of taking these um shows doing these complex edits and and doing these absolutely hilarious little sketches um, for each of these segments, and um, that's just got to take a lot of time to put that together. Yeah, unfortunately, it sure does. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess if I if I didn't like doing it so much, if I didn't get the instant gratification of having you know getting to hear them uh, play it and and, and and respond to it on the show, I you know maybe it wouldn't be quite as uh, entertaining for me. But fortunately, they do, and it is. And you got a big event coming up this weekend too, right? Yes, um, actually, uh, on Thursday, I will be heading out on one of those planes and heading over to the Boston area for the big old Rock and Shock convention. And uh, and believe it or not, after, let's see, I think I started sending stuff into Outside the Cinema at uh, episode 126, and I'm just now finishing up today the segment for episode 193. And after that many episodes, once a week, every week, I'm now going to finally actually meet Bill and Chris in person. Yeah, that, that was a, <clears throat> when I was listening to one of the episodes of uh, Outside the Cinema. I had just assumed you guys had met in person before. But to hear that this Rock and Shock trip was kind of was going to be the first time that you two or you three actually were going to be in the same room was kind of uh, monumental. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh Creepy, I guess. It's odd. Uh, <laughs> creepy for them or creepy for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Uh, a little bit of both. 
yeah, so I think that's uh, I think it's going to be a real good time. I'm actually staying a little time over at uh, Bill by Force's house uh, before and after the convention too. Um, so you know whatever that means for him, and uh, I think uh, I think it's going to be a real good time. We're going to do broadcasting live the whole weekend. Um, I don't know if it's going to be. I'm not sure how he's going to do it. If he's going to record everything or if he's going to have it available on the. You can go to tv.outsidethecinema.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, every Monday, I think it's 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's when he does. He actually records the show uh, live and broadcasts it, so you can you can watch their uh, their handsome faces the entire time and chat with other people listening to the show. So that's that's a lot of fun to do. And then, of course, I get to see them listen to my segment every week, you know, so I can get my my eagle boosted as much <laughs> as possible. Well, is there anybody at Rock and Shock you're excited to meet? Because I know they got a pretty good lineup. Uh. I don't know that there's anyone that I haven't already met. I think Robert England is probably one of those guys that uh, you feel like you just really need to meet at least once in your life, even even now after that he's no longer doing Freddy anymore. Uh, you know, I still, I still obviously I want to meet him because I've never gotten to before, and I, I think he's one of those guys that's kind of a, a common uh, a common guy to see at a lot of these horror conventions. I mean, like even the ones I don't go to, I'll notice and see that he's one of the guys going to be there, right. but I've yet to actually meet him. So I think uh, he's probably one of the ones I, I've met a few of the uh, few of the other people that are already there I've already met before. Um, so you know, who cares about them anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, how are you doing uh, this week? Other than trying to recover from some deathly illness? Well, yeah, I uh, I ended up getting a flu shot on Thursday, and turns out I got the flu. So I'm trying to just <laughs> make it for the next hour. So um, yeah. Well, let's. If I don't, uh, if I don't talk as much this week. Um, Forgive me, but uh, there's some there's some political commentary in there somewhere, but we'll let yeah. that go. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you from getting back to uh, snuggling in bed and watching whatever it is you watch while you uh, recover. So if you know you, what I, Troy, come on, you know what I watch. I know what. How many times have you watched Pulp Fiction this week? Uh, four. Four. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> we can't. That's crazy, man. Um, yeah, get back to bringing out the gimp. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, if you two are ready, I think we'll go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to um, dive into some German cinema. How does that sound? Yes. Okay. That's good. That's good. Right? <laughs> well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to tackle 1922's Nosferatu, A Symphony of Horror. All right, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. All right, Reverend Scott, take us to church. Uh, What can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. (laughs) Uh, Is there anyone's coattails you wrote in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. Yeah. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one <laughs> That is one star too many. Let me tell you. The worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, God. Ugh. That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. Welcome back to Movie Matchup, The Pretension. We are going to dive into some classic German silent cinema. 
Um, you know, before we get started talking about Nasratu, uh, Scott, do you have much, I don't know, viewing experience with, with silent film or particularly, I guess, German expressionist or German silent film? Oh, definitely uh, not. I think uh, this is <laughs> this is probably. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is one of those iconic movies that even if you haven't seen it before, it kind of feels like you have just because you've seen all the imagery, you've seen it, you know, referenced in so many other things and you know, uh, documentary film and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I kind of felt like it felt really familiar as you were watching it right away. And I, I think I've seen some, you know, Charlie Chaplin stuff and stuff like that. And, um, you know, but to say that I'm well-versed, uh, by no means at all. How about you, Brad? I mean, what, what's your experience with silent film or, or specifically well, German silent film? Um, when I was at the University of Kentucky, I took a film study class. And usually when you take film study, you watch this and uh, uh, Metropolis, Metropolis. Yep. are you, like your first two films and these, those were our first two films that we watched. So, um, this is, uh, I've done quite a bit of, I wouldn't say knowledge on the film, but you know, this isn't my first time seeing it. And it's my, actually probably the first time since um, that class. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience outside of like the, uh, academia, but, uh, I do like, um, a lot of older films, but, uh, this and Metropolis. I don't think I've seen uh, what's the other one? Gollum. And... Uh, yeah, the Gollum and Cabinet of Doctor Caligari is another one that yeah, often yeah. comes up. Um, I'm with you two. Uh, I would say Nosferatu and Metropolis are the two that I've watched multiple times. I have not seen the Gollum or uh, Cabinet, but I think I own them. Um, and I've been more in terms of silent film attracted to a lot of the the comedic silent films. So. Um, but, you know, something came up for those who are playing along that want to go back and, and watch Nosferatu. Uh, when we first started talking with Reverend Scott as far as getting him on the show, one of the questions that he had asked me was what version was was I going to watch or Brad, which one was he going to watch? And that started an interesting little discussion um, about how many different cuts and versions there are out here. Um, Brad, which one did you watch? Um, I watched the one that was on Netflix. Okay. Um, now, which now? There's two versions on yeah. Netflix, even. <laughs> oh shit! Um, well, now uh, did I'm you, stumped. Did you catch the year? Or did, or could you tell me what the picture was? Because um, I, I, I looked at both. Oh god! It's actually a picture else. of his. Uh, one version on there was the 1939 U.S. re-release, and I think it was like a an hour and 26 minutes oh, or something like that. That's the 1929, right? And then there's 29 was it? Oh, okay. I think it was yeah, because it, it hit statesides in, in 1929 was when it was released in the U.S. But originally it debuted in 1922 in Germany, and I think Netflix lists it twice. One is a 1922, and I think one is a 1929. I didn't know this either that um, it was I I want to say remastered or restored in 1930 and retitled the Twelfth Night um, and that was supposed to be a sound adaptation of the print but uh, yeah there there are tons tons of different um, forms of this film floating around because in the U S it is listed as a public domain print and if you go to something like DVDCompare.net I don't know if you two are familiar with that website. Yeah, you can you can put a movie in there and it'll go through and tell you all of the different DVD or Blu-ray releases out there, which ones, um, what the special features are for each one, and then the running time or if they're cuts. 
And just to give you an, a, a sample, um, there's like a, an American image entertainment, shorter version, 81 minutes. Um, American music video distributors release that 63 minutes. An American Ventura distribution slingshot entertainment with an unknown cut status. Um, United Kingdom has a 64-minute version. Arrow Entertainment put out a 66-minute, 30-second version. Elite Entertainment put out, well, they don't know the cut status on that. Kino on video has the long five-act structure at 93 minutes. Um, Kino International has a five-act structure, but it's 94 minutes and 12 seconds. And, I mean, this list goes on and on because that's just the U.S. stuff. I haven't even listed the BFI versions or... Um, the, which ones have the title cards that list Dracula and Jonathan Harker, the characters from Dracula or the ones that actually list Count Orlock or anything else. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you go out to seek this film, if you've never seen it before, good luck <laughs> because you don't know what you're <laughs> going to get. I did, uh, the, the uh, version that I watched was Nosferatu original version from 1929 runtime, 80 minutes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was like the American or whatever. And then there was the uh, the other one on there was a 1922 version. However, it was rescored with some gothic mix. On, yeah, on we'll, Netflix. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let, let's get into, um, I guess, some details of the film. I'll I'll do uh, a quick synopsis here. But uh, the official title is Nosferatu: A Symphony of Horror. It was directed by F. W. Murnau. It starred Max Schreck as Count Orlock, Gustav von Wengenheim as Thomas Hutter, Greta Schroeder as Ellen Hutter, Ruth Lenz um, plays Annie, Wolfgang Heinz is the first mate of the Impuza, and a quick synopsis is F.W. Murnau's landmark vampire film Nosferatu, Nosferatu, Nosferatu is a retelling of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Real estate agent Hutter has arrived to close a sale with the reclusive Count Orlock. Despite the feverish warnings of the local peasants, Hutter insists upon completing his journey to Orlok's sinister castle. Hutter catches on that Orlok is no ordinary mortal, but can not stop Orlok from traveling to Bremen. By the time the ship bearing Orlok arrives at his destination, the captain and crew have all been killed and partially devoured. There follows a wave of mysterious deaths in Bremen, which the local authorities attribute to a plague of some sort. But Ellen, Hutter's wife, knows better. Armed with the knowledge that a vampire will perish upon exposure to the rays of the sun, Ellen offers herself to Orlok, deliberately keeping him entertained until sunrise. At the cost of her own life, Ellen ends Orlok's reign of terror once and for all. So, spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> Reverend Scott, what's your what's your initial, I guess, reaction to Nosferatu? Um, well, it's a movie that is, um, I think it's fair to say, is supposed to be one of the greatest horror films of all time. Does, does that sound about right? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people contribute this as the first vampire film, or first film without vampires. Important uh, horror films, maybe not the greatest. So, okay. Well, yeah, because that's kind of where I was wanting to go with that. The fact that, you know, obviously since 1922, a few things have changed in the world of, of horror films. <laughs> And sure. you can you can obviously tell, and uh, I mean, and it's just it just has to do with the fact that I mean, this is you know this is a silent film, and uh, there's going to be overacting in in certain parts just to portray um, you know more emotion because you, you know, I mean they're obviously they can't talk um, even more so than you know having the fact that you can read what they're saying and stuff. So I mean, this is um, this is this is everything I expected. I'll, I'll at least say that as well. Um, 
I think this is uh, this is definitely uh, you know like I was saying before there's there's so many things that you know I I don't know that I had ever seen this movie all the way through and and especially not in the long form uh, the, the version that I think uh, at least Troy and I watched um, you know it's like the full you know hour and thirty four minutes or something like that um, obviously I'd never seen it all the way through especially not in the the version we had and uh, you know the, there there's actually a lot more to it. Than, than I ever expected there to be. Yeah, and the the version you're referring to, one of the big distinctions is the title cards listed out as a five act structure. So, right. and I, I'll say this, um, I have a, uh, like I said, I, I've watched it a couple of times this week, three times in total. Um, but I started with a public domain print that had English title cards, but all of the characters are referenced as um, characters from Dracula, but. Then I went out and got the Kino International Ultimate DVD Edition, and there's two versions of that on there. There is the um, American version, so all the title cards are, are in English, and then you can disc two has the German version with the original German title cards in there with English subtitles. Um, and and I'm with you, Scott. I mean, I I had seen this before, but I probably had seen the uh, cut version of it. This is really the first time I had ever seen the five act structure. Um, Brad, what, what's your initial take on Nosferatu? Um, I'm kind of right there, like with you all. I know this film's importance to cinema as a history lesson. Um, like we said, things have changed since 1922, and um, going back and watching this um, isn't as entertaining as I would like it to be. Um, it's different. I feel like I'm studying history when I when I watch this film so it's like kind of re review proof and criticism proof like you can't really say anything about it that hasn't been said um, but for the most part like I, I I think it's I know the importance of it and I know where it stands in cinema history but after that it's take it or leave it for me I guess. It kind of makes it harder to be honest about this movie. Yeah, yeah, because you feel like it's like you can't say anything bad about your grandpa because he's your grandpa. You know, it's like <laughs> he's so old and he's there. Like you might not be able to hear very well, but you can't really say anything bad about him. I mean, I, I had my uh, my wife started watching this with me, and as soon as she realized it, she's like, "Oh, yeah, they don't even talk in this. Eh, I don't care." <laughs> she was out of the room. Well, do you, you, know, do you think like, uh, well, that you know that's a good point? Um, do you think this is a film that is accessible to today's viewing audience? Ooh, because uh, I mean, both uh, Scott, I met you at a Whorehound convention, right? And so all of the movies and, and the people there obviously were um, were all horror related, and horror movies today don't necessarily. I'm not saying that they they lack suspense or tension. I mean. I think uh, a recent uh, film that came out this year, Insidious, is a great example of a film that has a lot of tension in it. But for the most part, um, horror films by nature today uh, are filled with gore, jump scares, etc. They're very, very different from Nosferatu. So, I mean, what do you both think in terms of this film as being accessible for the horror fan and not from a film historian fan? God, if you take, if you take away the historic point of view of this movie... Um, I mean, there's still things you can learn from. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, you know when you just pay close attention to uh, the scenery, uh, the you know the costuming and the um, 
just kind of the eerie feel of everything having to do with uh, Count Orlock in general. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to be learned from it, not necessarily just because, oh, this is an old movie, but because it was just done well. Um, and there was nothing, there's no basis of comparison when this movie was made. I mean, he, you know, he made this movie virtually from scratch, you know, that, you know, you, you can watch all kinds of uh, horror movies and talk, you know, I can see where he got this part from and I can see how, you know, this is kind of an homage to this and, and, you know, this is a remake of that, you know, and none of that existed when this was made. So, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit just to that alone. I mean, I guess, I mean, obviously he's pulling from Dracula, but I mean, it's as far as like visualizing it and putting it on film. Sure. What about you, Brad? I mean, I I honestly think if you put this in front of someone who is, say, uh, 18 years old, who doesn't really is new to film, and let's say they're a horror fan, and you sit them down to watch this, I think they last five, ten minutes maybe, and then it's over for them. Like I, I just I don't see if you're not looking at it with a in the historical context, I don't know how this film holds up to anyone who doesn't appreciate that. You got to have patience. Yes. Yes. And I mean, yes, the music is done well, um, but it's not the best music I've ever heard for a silent film. Um, so even that it's like, well, the music would depend too on what score you actually heard because uh, again, one of the things in doing a lot of research for this, and, and I only started doing research on the prints available um, once uh, Scott had kind of started asking questions about, you know, oh, what are you going to cover? Did you see this, etc. And um, you know, Hans Erdmann was the was the original composer for the score and um, directed an orchestra at its at its premiere in Berlin. And there are a couple of editions out there, like that Kino International version that does use um, as much of the published score that is available because not all of a lot of that score has been lost uh, or a chunk of it has been lost. But um, I think my opinion on this is when I first saw Nosferatu, I was not overly impressed with it. I, w- I was with you guys that um, it's, it's kind of like making fun of your grandfather. You just don't do it, <laughs> you know, because everybody, you know, Empire Magazine ranked this as um, – in its list of a hundred of the best films of world cinema, it was number twenty-one. But you have to, you have to. Well, I understand you have to, but from an entertainment standpoint, my initial viewing of this, um, and especially you know watching a public domain print, you're just not impressed. Somebody can tell me this is the greatest piece of film in the entire world, and if I don't like it, I don't like it. Um, however, and I had pretty much had that opinion until I discovered this Kino International. DVD, and I've watched this specific DVD twice now, and I absolutely love this movie. Yeah, I think it. I think it makes a huge difference. I mean, when you, and especially just because you know, uh, you know, just for instance, when I was saying my wife was watching some of that, you know, and and, and it's obviously a 1922 movie. And, you know, she just wasn't interested in that kind of movie, you know, and, and she's, you know, by no means any kind of the same kind of film uh, aficionado that a lot of the people that I talk to are. And, you know, but for me watching it is just like seeing that version when it's uh, highly uh, upgraded visually compared to, you know, some of the other 
kind of junky versions out there, and they took so much time to put it together, restore it as best as they could. And I, I, no, I didn't quite catch if they restored all of the original score or if they re-recorded it with a full orchestra or, or both. I, I didn't quite catch that part of it, but I know the score was uh, was was definitely pretty pretty rich. Uh, and as far as you know, when you consider how old it really was. Yeah, and the DVD does list that it's using the original 1922 score, um, but I know from just doing some reading that some of that score is lost, so what they had to go back and do is recreate or um, find notes from the okay, composer. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the DVD, you can listen to 5.1 Stereo Surround or 2.0. It has that option. Um, this film taught me one thing this week of how important music is because the the public domain print... I don't remember anything about the score that they used other than, I don't want to say it was jazzy. It was just a little bit more modern, not as classical. But this, right. yeah, this this um, Erdman score, I, man, you pegged it when you said it was rich. It was extremely rich. It really added to what was going on within each frame. And um, this movie, I have not found a movie in a long time where I not only wanted to rewatch the film, but... And I guess it was because we were going to pair this up with Shadow of a Vampire. I wanted to read everything I could about the making of this film, you know, and even the restoration of the print. And it was extremely fascinating, everything that went on behind the scenes in this movie. And, um, well, I, did you guys pay close attention to the correspondence that was going on um, within the film as far as the, the contract? And um, when... Um, Oh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Knock. Knock. When he first gets a letter from Count Orlock, did you guys pay attention to anything that was on there? I went back and watched that a couple times because I was very uh, – at first I was thinking, man, that is some odd language. And, uh, and you know, go back and look at it again, and, and there's, like, pictures of houses on there and squiggly lines and circles and all kinds of almost, like, small pictures and stuff and – and maybe there's something I don't know about that you read, but it just seemed to me like it was just supposed to be representing a language as more than just actually being one. Well, this is what got me studying about this film was because when I saw um, Nock open that letter and that script on there, I'm like, what in the hell is that? <laughs> I mean, it just it looks yeah. so out of place. And, you know, I've taken a little bit of German. That wasn't German. Um, I didn't know. <laughs> no. You know, it looked like something that, you know, my kids drew. Um, but Brad, do, do you know what that is now? Um, I mean, I know some of the history around the film. Is it, I mean, is that some of the occult stuff they had kind of thrown into the film? Is that what? Yeah. Producer Alvin yeah. Grau, he was an artist, architect and a cultist that he was really known for, for being, um, deeply into the cult. And, um, he was a lifelong student of the occult, a member of the Fraternus Sterney. Um, and he basically, tried to imbue this film a lot. It was also billed as like the first occult film. And all of that scribbling on there is um, hermetic and alchemic symbols. And um, Enochian, I think, is the is the script. But it's it's basically occult um, symbols, signs, and language. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, just seeing that got me to read, like I said, about this film. And... Um, about the producer, Alvin Grau, and uh, Prana Film and, and how it got started. There's a great documentary also, if you can seek it out, The Language of Shadows, the early years of Nosferatu. Um, and it really goes into 
uh, Murnau and uh, Grau and, and maybe their involvement within the occult in and of itself. And, it, and it's really hinted at. But if you go back and you look at how this film was made, um, Grau really puts a lot of that stuff in there. And then the other thing that really fascinates me about this film is there are some shots in there that look like paintings. And if you read about Murnau, he was a huge... Um, he was very much embodied in the arts, in German arts, in expressionism, etc. And there were a lot of paintings that influenced him that he tried to recreate those shots within this film. And i got to tell you, my favorite shot of the entire film is when um, uh, she is waiting, the wife, Ellen, is um, on the beach with all those crosses around oh, her, kind yeah. of stuck oh, in the yeah, sand yeah. with yeah. the ocean. That is fan Like, I, to me, you could cut that out and frame it. That that. That just looked gorgeous, especially in black and white, too. Yeah. yeah I, the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I have a question that I wanted to pose is, do we think this film is good on its own, or do we think the whole mystique and everything that goes along with it kind of hypes it up to a point to where, you know, is, is the film okay on itself, or do you do we appreciate it more because of everything that goes along with it? Is what I'm trying to say. You know, like, if you well, dig deeper, I mean, there's always more stuff to appreciate. It's, well, I don't know. I mean, and it's a it's a pretty basic storyline. So, I mean, like, the, the story itself, there's not, I mean, there's layers to the story, but it's not one of those, uh, there's not a lot of interpretation necessarily that goes into that story, unless I'm, unless I'm totally off. But it, it seems to me that it's pretty straightforward story-wise. Does that seem about right? Yeah, and I, I think its strength is not so much in the story, but you got you got to remember that you know film in 1922. Well, this was filmed actually in 1921. Um, you know, this is a this is a new art form, and that's what it was. It was it was an art form. It was a way to tell a story, but tell it visually. And um, I do think that it holds up extremely well on its own, not from so much the telling of the Stoker Dracula, but as far as like a, a visual painting. And I, I think right. it reaches that level across the board because I can get, and, it, and I don't know, this is also a great exercise in music too, because there are some things that I just get swept away. It almost feels like I'm dreaming with my eyes open when I watch this, especially this new version that I discovered because combined with the visual images and the music, I just feel like I'm in an entirely different time period, heck in an entirely different world that I've just never seen before. Right, and, and, and it's kind of what I was was I was getting at is just the fact that it, it's not necessarily the story that that really brings it all together. It's 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 almost like it's its way of getting you to the different different scenes and uh, allowing you to see, um, you know, all all these shots that are you know obviously they're iconic for a reason. You know, I mean, like the fact that they're old doesn't necessarily make them iconic. I mean, there's movies that are older than this that you've never even heard of and or seen anything from because they're just not the same. You know, there's there's just not, nothing to uh, hold on to that that's even worth a second visit. Now, not, not to say that I'm going to be going and watching this movie, um, you know, once a month or something like that because, I mean, I'm not going to lie, there's parts that are pretty slow or, or things that are just... I don't know. It seemed like they drug out a little bit too far, but I mean, the farther into that movie you go, I mean, once Count Orlock is there, things take a drastic change as far as how interesting the film gets. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't know if I'd want, this isn't the film that I'm going to put in just to put in for repeat viewings. Because if right. I were to, if I were to watch this again, I'd want it to be under the right conditions to where you're not going to be bothered. You know, it's, it's almost got to be the perfect setting to watch it because you do want to kind of get, um, drawn into it. You don't want the kids banging on the doors, interrupting you every five minutes or, or something because then it loses a little bit of, um, I don't know, its ability to, to take you away, I guess. You got to get in that atmosphere of that film, and I think that's where its biggest strong suit is. You you feel the atmosphere and the, uh, uh, I mean, everything about this movie uh, has this tone to it that you know once you get drawn into it, it, it definitely takes a hold of you the farther into the movie you go. Sure. Well, Brad, I mean, as far as that question, what do you feel? Well, I, I did want to reiterate. I think he made it. Reverend Scott made a great point that like this isn't the oldest film ever. And this isn't like the, you know, it's not the first film ever made, but there's a reason why we can still go back and watch it. I mean, there, there is a certain quality to this film, um, that still somewhat holds up today. Um, and I think you have to appreciate that. Um, and what was the other, your, your other question that you wanted to, to ask? What was your original question? I'm sorry. Well, I mean, you you were talking about does this hand, you know stand up on its own oh. regardless of? I mean, I, I, think, I think it does. I, I didn't. I, I think to an does. extent, yeah. I think it does. Um, now, the story, like we said, isn't um, maybe it was groundbreaking in 1922, but I mean, this is notoriously stealing from another source. I mean, this film steals basically its story from something else and just changes the characters. So if we're okay with that, then I guess, you know, we can appreciate it for the basic story that it has. But it does steal quite heavily. Well, it got it got in trouble. Well, the the original title cards reference Bram Stoker's Dracula as far as what it's based off of, but they never got, um, I guess, permission from the estate to actually do the film. Because this was the first and last Prana film, which was the production company that uh, Murnau and Grau had put together. Um, and the company had to declare bankruptcy after Bram Stoker's estate uh, basically sued for copyright infringement and won. And the court ordered all existing prints of Nosferatu burned. But one of the copies had already been distributed around the world. And that print has been the one that's been duplicated over the years with, with you know different variations, musical scores, etc. Because I guess it's a public domain film here but that's not the case in countries like europe and even germany to where you know it still has some copyright uh behind it uh so the fact that this thing even exists is pretty impressive because if um if the i want to say the lawsuit started in like 1923 or 24 but it wasn't settled until 1929 or 1930 and by then it had circulated enough so once the courts had made the decision you have to destroy every print of it that was pretty much impossible because it had been out all over the world. That's yeah, pretty remarkable that this movie almost just wasn't seen anymore. Well, that was the intention. It, it was supposed it was to the be the possibility. Yeah, totally gone. So there's, you know, there's a lot of history behind this, and I, I think that's a valid question, Brad. That you know, is this film good on its own as a film, or is it only good because of everything that is behind it? Uh, for me, I, I think it's a great film. I think there's enough of both for me. To you know, like I said, like I'm, I'm. It's one of those movies where I'm glad that I saw it, 
and uh, and I won't necessarily revisit it again anytime soon. But you know, I mean, I guess maybe in that regard, it's kind of like a Serbian film. It's like one of those movies where, yeah, I'm I'm glad I saw it in a sense. Um, but I'm not going to go back all the time. Now, luckily, it's it, that's the only comparison I can make between those two movies. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I just I never would have thought somebody would get on here and compare a Serbian film to Nosferatu. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> I had to bring that up. Well, that's that's the first thing I think of when I think of that other movie too. And and and, and obviously there's different reasons. Uh, obviously, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's one of those movies that you don't forget it after you've seen it either. Sure. Well, have either of you seen the uh, the remake that um, Werner Herzog did in '79, Nosferatu: The Vampire? Not yet. No. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see it now. Klaus Kinski is in it and plays um, you know Nosferatu. It's it's interesting. There's another good version. I want to say Anchor Bay released of that uh, two disc version or something. It's it's different and um, I I don't know. That's probably for another discussion. I, I would encourage you both that if if you like this one enough, go see uh, go see that one and in comparison to what we have here. The, I guess one of the last questions I have is, okay, so Nosferatu is considered the, the first vampire film. Of all of the vampire films out there, you know, even um, Francis Ford Coppola, you know, the Hammer stuff, where does Nosferatu rank in terms of all the vampire films in the history of vampire films? Okay. Twilight even. We'll throw Twilight, you know, sparkled, bedazzled vampires. Oh. Oh, that's tough. There's, it's. It, I mean, I don't know because even when you talk about vampires, there's so many genre of vampire movies. Sure. You know, and that's what makes it so hard. You know, there, there's there's ones that are like uh, Underworld, and and then there's ones like Twilight, and in and then there's ones like this, and. I mean, as far as uh, silent vampire movies made in the 1920s, this is top of the line. <laughs> what, what about okay? So let's let's throw out like your your teen vamps, your good guy vamp. Think about the vampire film as um, well. Your your Bela Lugosi, you know. Um, mm. as, as far as vampires being villains, where does this movie rank? Where, what do you think, Brad? Um, I mean, I think I always go back to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, and then she's not really a villain. She does kill people, but like let the right one in to me is still the, is my favorite probably vampire film. Um, just the the quiet nature and um, even let me in is is a great film as well. I mean, she isn't I guess evil per se. Uh, well, I mean there are there there is a body count in that movie, but I don't know. It's hard to compare. Um, I definitely think the look of this Dracula, there's a reason why they don't look like this anymore. It's a little bit exaggerated and what it had to be for, for the silent film. But, um, the more subdued vampire now is probably, um, a better look. Um, Orlock definitely had, um, a very unique, um, way of, of, expressing he was a vampire um with the fingers and the the head and so I, I don't know i definitely think that i would i would put this at the top but definitely not the best okay what about you scott i think that um 
One of the biggest gripes in a lot of vampire movies that you'll find that a lot of fans of vampires have, or just fans of horrors in general, and and you're kind of you're kind of always on the line that um, you expect certain rules to be present in movies, and then like when you mentioned Twilight, obviously there's a lot of things that Twilight does that breaks you know conventional quote unquote vampire rules, like good that, taste. <laughs> well, besides that, you know, you know, how long can you obviously stare at someone before it's just fucking creepy, right? And, but I mean, beyond that, the you know, the fact that they go out in the sun and they sparkle, okay? I mean, that's a perfect example of something Nosferatu would never have done because they they do virtually everything right uh, as far as you know, convertible quote unquote facts about vampires. I mean that you know that he's he's only out. Uh, at night that he has uh he has extreme strength uh he can move things you know supernaturally move things he can control people even when he's not there he can vanish you know he he does all these things that are conventionally thought to be a fact about vampires and then you know i like that they uh, they obviously pay close attention to that um you know when they made this movie you know they 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 really stayed true to what was known at the time now granted also at the time there weren't uh there wasn't anything else uh that had changed those quote unquote facts to pull from though so maybe that's why i don't know well yeah i mean um i don't know i i'm so impressed with this film i guess especially this week's viewings that I, I, I would probably put it up there in, in sort of the top, uh, vampire, uh, films that I've seen ever. I just really, I, I actually enjoy this more than I like the universal Dracula. Um, there's so many of these movies that just, uh, I don't know. They, they just sort of blend together and they're kind of the same, if that makes sense. Whereas this film for me just certainly sticks out. I mean, it just has its own unique, um, unique vision it's uh, even even Nosferatu I I just have not seen a vampire that looks anything as close as to what they brought in this film so I I'm just overly impressed with it uh let's let's give some final thoughts on it and move on to our next one um Brad final thoughts on Nosferatu um I guess my final thing I would like to say is just that this film is not your conventional film in the way that we know film now. Um, it comes from a completely different time. Um, it's got a great mystique around it. Um, there is a lot of cool imagery and there's, there's some really cool shots that we didn't even get to talk about that I think are, and we all have seen them. They're iconic and they're iconic for a reason. I, uh, I appreciate this film for what it is. Now, am I going to tell everyone that I know that they should watch Nosferatu before they watch, uh, like, The Lost Boys or Let the Right One In or Bram Stoker's? Like, no. I think um, I think you know the people that you can, you can tell to watch this. Um, other people are going to last uh, ten minutes and realize there's not going to be any talking and leave. But okay. yeah, yeah. This is this is uh this is an important film for a reason, and there's a reason why, you know, 80 years later, uh, people still talk about it. So, on that, you know, if you're if you're like us and you appreciate film on a different level, um, yeah, you should probably you should probably watch this just because it's just because it's what it is. Okay, Reverend Scott, final thoughts. 
Well, there's a reason you guys are covering this on movie matchup, the pretension. But that being said, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of things you know that we skipped over, and and, and I'm not gonna go into everything that I had notes on. But I mean, there's certain things when he when you first see Nosferatu, but you're you know, but the main character didn't know it was him. He's in this cloaked stagecoach. You know, it's got all these uh, black cloaks all over it. The horses have black clo- cloaks all over him. He does, and they use this. Uh, you know, they filmed it. Uh, they filmed it so he looks as though he's moving faster than normal. Right. And, yeah. And I, and I I really love certain things about the movie like that even beyond the normal uh, iconic uh, you know pictures of him you know rising from the coffin and things like that and and it it did have even the quote unquote script even had things that I thought were great uh, you know like when uh, the captain of the ship is eventually uh, killed by Nosferatu and it cuts from there and it, and it shows the death ship had a new captain. You know, it's just like, you know, the, the, there's certain scenes that's just is just great. And uh, if this is a movie you can make it through, then uh, I think uh, eventually you will you'll you'll come to respect it, if anything. Well, those are good points. You know, and um, yeah, the the stagecoach and and sort of how the the film speeds up when he's loading the coffins on. You would think that in any other film, because of that process, it would take you out of it a little bit. But I, I really think the way that uh, Murnau did it, it, it still fit and kept it very spooky and creepy, even though, I guess, visually it looked a little odd. So th- those are good points, man. Um, I guess my, my final thoughts, I, I, I don't know. A lot of the discussion has been, um, and maybe the debate even, does this film stand up on an entertainment value and not just from a historical cinema value? And I would have to say... You know, from a final thought standpoint, I think it's essential viewing if you just like movies. And um, on top of that, it's essential viewing if you want to watch a good movie. I think the story, like both of you have said, is is pretty standard. But the visual presentation, rarely do you see movies that are an art form. And I think Nosferatu is up there. And I, it's just this this time of watching it, it slowly kind of crept up on, hey, I, I think I would this probably would break the top 20 of all time movies for me now. And I'm I'm really grown to love it more and more with each viewing simply because it feels like somebody's behind the camera painting. And I think that part part of that has to do with the next movie we're going to talk about too. I think it it, it changed things a lot. But um, yeah, this is definitely a movie. You know, like I just said, that I think you develop quite a respect for it by the time you finish it and have a little time to digest what you watched. Sure. Yeah, it's a good point. Well. This conversation has definitely been pretentious. We've lived up to the title of the show. Um, how about we take a quick break and change gears a little bit? Uh, we're going to talk about a film. I'm really curious to hear your, both of your thoughts on Shadow of the Vampire, which is the next film we're going to talk about. Uh, it came out in 2000 and has um, received a lot of praise for not just its um, take on horror films, but also for its comedy, which is kind of strange. So how about we take a quick break, gentlemen, and when we come back, we talk about 2000 Shadow of the Vampire. Are you serious, podcast? Bestofalleft.com. Linoleum knife. 35 millimeter hero. Chinstroke versus Pensa. Family movie night. Bloody good horror. Skills on film radio. Night of the Living Podcast. Mail order zombie. Outside the cinema. Popcorn mafia. Perhaps you'd be interested in Gleecast. First time caller podcast. Showshow.podomatic.com. The David Pakman Show. Hello, 
gentle listeners. I'm Fozzie Bear. There are a lot of podcasts out there, and it's impossible to listen to them all. That's where the Podcast Podcast comes in. On the Podcast Podcast, we have very special guests from some of the best shows on iTunes, covering everything from movies to television to literature to pop culture and politics. On the Podcast Podcast, you can listen to these guests and decide if you should check out their show or keep on moving. Find us in the iTunes store by searching for me, Fozzie Bear. That's F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E. Well, welcome back to Movie Matchup, The Pretension. We just got done talking very pretentiously about Nosferatu. And now we're going to dive into a very different film. And, of course, I'm talking about 2000's Shadow of a Vampire, directed by E. Elias Mirage. Mirage? I don't know how you said his last name. Brad, who, did, what is, who stars in this film? Uh, a lot of people, but uh, two people of note. Um, a very... Being John Malkovich, John Malkovich, and uh, mm. Willem Dafoe uh, playing Lord Olak. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, we've, is, uh, we've also got Udo Kier as oh, Alan okay. Grau. Carrie Elwes from Saw fame. Saw, yay. <laughs> is and that also, what you're going to say his fame is? Yeah, Saw uh, and uh, Princess Bride. This, and, okay. Uh, as long as you Prince mention he, Princess Bride, that's that's like the uh, the golden age of oh, Carrie Elwes. Hey, he was in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, too, wasn't he? <laughs> This is proof uh-huh. that he can actually act, though. Sure. Um, Catherine McCormick and Eddie Izzard. Uh, I'll give you a quick synopsis. I won't. I won't. We we spoil movies here on Movie Matchup. I don't know if you knew that or not, Reverend Scott. But the synopsis <laughs> is uh, is rather quick on this one. Um, Shadow of the Vampire, 2000, the torturous production of the classic 1922 vampire film Nosferatu is recreated in the stylized account of director F.W. Murnau and his obsession with creating realistic horror by any means necessary, even if those means include actual bloodletting. All right, let's start with our guest. Reverend Scott, hit us. What do you got for Shadow of the Vampire? What do you, what's your take on this? The first thing I'm going to say is I'm going to blow your mind. Uh-oh. Did you notice that this was produced by Nicolas Cage? I Cage. saw that. Yes. Saturn, Saturn Films? That's his production company? Unbelievable. I had no idea. I just saw that and I had to write it down. Um, so you want a, kind of an overall, what did I think, basically? Yeah, hit us with uh, – I'm, I'm kind of curious. With this one – I don't think um, you would have the same type of pretentious conversation that we would have with Nosferatu. Not, uh, not totally, but I, okay, I kind of felt as though like this movie, if this, if if the original uh, Nosferatu is outside the cinema, and this movie is me and my segments. It's kind of like one of those deals where like it, this movie is as much as you may or may not like it. Is is nothing without the original having been, you know that's what I mean? Good, that's a good point. I like that. And and so this this movie is as much as I I did like it. I liked it a lot. I liked how they took what was originally there and they made it their own and they did something with it that you may not have even thought of before. And uh, and then that's kind of where I got that comparison from. You know, it's like I kind of I kind of take things that have happened. Uh, previously, and I, I, I turn it in the way that I see fit, and it may not be true. It's usually not. And uh, oh, I thought all your segments were just stuff that you got when they weren't recording. <laughs> oh well, if you thought that, then they're all true. There Everything is true that I do. And Don't look so, behind yeah, the curtain. Yeah, <laughs> pay no attention. And so yeah, this 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 definitely was. Uh, well, obviously, it's a more modern movie, and it shows. Um, it has they sound. Do, <laughs> yeah, it has saw. It's a talkie. It's a talkie. 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah. And there's uh, no colors over. in it, too. Yeah, there are. There's Well, I actually had color in my print of uh, Nosferatu. <laughs> Granted, it was uh, orange or green, depending on whether it was light or dark. Right. Uh, but there was color infused into my copy. Um, and actually, that in I should have mentioned it before, that actually helped on the other print, because there are certain parts that I think I would have had, it would have been a little more confusing on whether it was supposed to be night or day. Right, because of how they filmed it, and that helped a lot. So obviously, but yeah, this 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 movie is newer and it shows, and I I I, uh, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay, Brad, um, this is this this week's episode was really something that kind of came out of the mind of Herr Anderson, um, because when we were putting you know Spooktober together, this was really supposed to be the first one we were going to talk about, but we had to get Reverend Scott on, so we pushed this back. Um, so obviously you picked this film for a reason. So tell us, what do you, what do you think uh, about it? Yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie a lot. Um, and, it, and it's basically because of the John Malkovich character. I've always been a huge Malkovich guy, and I think this is some of his best work. Um, I also think Willem Dafoe um, is mind-blowingly good in this movie. Um, and they have this one scene where they're going back and forth. And I literally can watch uh, watch that scene um, where Malkovich is kind of yelling at him for attacking a guy. And I, I think it's some of the best work both of them have done in their whole career. And uh, and when you top it off with it kind of having this mysterious, like, is he or is he not kind of aspect to it, I think it uh, really, really makes this movie uh, one of the better films of this decade. And we kind of don't talk about films of the decade very much um, and think of this one because it was so 2000 and we kind of, I don't know, it's been so long ago now. But, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite films to come out in the last 10, 11 years. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, what about the performances, Reverend Scott? I mean, is, do you, Brad is contending that this is probably Malkovich and Defoe at his best. I mean, um of, of everybody in the film, did anybody stand out, uh, or was anybody not as good? Or do you disagree with Brad? Um, I'm not going to disagree. I, I think uh, now there, there's a, there's a certain degree of hamminess to it, um, and I think that that that's partially just because you know you're dealing with people who are playing characters who are in the original 1922 movie, and the, you know there was a degree of hamminess to those. But I think when you Look at uh, and nothing to take not not to take away anything from Defoe because I you know I, I like him in, in virtually everything that he's in and and he's kind of like Jack Nicholson in the sense that you know he could virtually play himself in every character and, and I'd still love it uh, you know irregardless of what it was but I mean Malkovich though is like when you you know and then this is a guy who wasn't in the original movie you know he's not playing a character that you ever saw on camera before so he he you know he got to bring to it whatever he wanted to and and i really loved all the various levels of his of his character you know the, the, there was more to him than just being the director you know there was you know the the aspect of between him and and well was it max shrek or, or or actually a vampire but all his interactions with him and, and everything he did to make sure that this movie got completed no matter what you know no matter what it took and and you really feel it especially you know when you get to the end of that movie you can tell that he he just didn't care about anything other than getting this completed, and you, you definitely believed you were on board with that. 
Yeah, that's um, that's a good point. I mean, I really like how the film takes these two characters, the director Murnau and um, you know Shrek, uh, the, who is an actual vampire in, in this telling, and really shows aspects of their characters that are so similar in nature. And you know, both have vamp, I, I guess, vampire characteristics about them, how they feed on the people around them, both literally and figuratively. Uh, but I gotta say, this is Willem Dafoe's movie through and through, in my opinion. Um, he got a nomination for best supporting actor. Um, I can't remember who beat him that year, but uh, I. He, but they were a hack. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Whoever it was. Yeah, the scene. I don't know if you guys remember this, where um, Udo Kier and the other, I think, producer sitting around the uh, campfire having schnapps. Oh yeah. And yeah. um, Willem Dafoe comes up and they, and they they play along and say, well, he's a real vampire. Did you read the book Dracula? And Dafoe kind of goes on this monologue about the most depressing part of that book. I mean, I just wanted to stand up after that was over and just applaud. I mean, I got lost in that. And I think that's some of the best, I don't know, screenplay that has ever been written is just that one scene. It Because you never – you don't take Dracula's source material like that and then take – I don't know, a vampire's perspective on that source material. And when he's talking about how sad it is that Dracula had to go back and remember what it was like to be a man and how to wait on another human being and to recall all of this loneliness, um, man, that he just, he, he was amazing in that scene. And then he catches a bat. And it sucks. Yeah, I mean, it, oh, it works. So even good. without, even without the part where he eats the bat, you know, like I was, I was totally convinced by that point either. You know, it's like you could tell that the uh, the other two guys were, were just like, I think we're going to keep drinking now and pretend like that's just because we're drunk. You know, because you know that that was outrageous. You know, like I'm, I'm, you know, he's too much of a good quote unquote actor. Um, you know, as far as their characters looking at uh, what they think is Max Shrek, you know, it's like, oh, he's way too much of a good actor. This is a little bit beyond the point of me believing he's still an actor, and you could tell. Yeah, and that in that scene, it's uh, it to me, it encompasses the film, which is here's something that's extremely scary, almost horrific, um, in terms of this character. And then he turns around, he sucks the blood out of his bat, has a bottle of schnapps, and he's getting drunk with them. Um, I just I'm I'm kind of with you. I think this movie is way overlooked. No, a lot of I just don't hear people talking about this film, but I think it's one of the great um I don't know if it's a would you classify this as a horror comedy? I didn't I catch as much like horror comedy. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> what were you going to say, Scott? I don't know. I didn't catch as much of there's parts of it that I found humorous. I wouldn't necessarily classify it as like a movie like Shaun of the Dead or uh, you know Evil Dead Two or something like that. I, I don't think there, it's that kind of movie uh, as far as horror comedy goes. Um, but I think there are some tongue-in-cheek moments. I think there's there's parts that they wanted to be humorous as much as it could be within the confines of what was going on. Um, but I you know like I said I, I don't know if I put it in the same regards uh, as far as the comedy aspect of it. I don't know if it goes quite as far as those other movies where it's, it, it went head over heels trying to be funny. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's like a, a Shaun of the dead type of, you know, zaniness to it, but, you know, take for instance, the introduction of Carrie Ellis's character showing up, you know, um, I really Not a doctor, but I <laughs> tried street pharmacy or something like that. Or yeah, to get a shot, he does sort of the William freaking thing, shoots a gun in the air and everybody freaks out and he's like, Oh, did you get that? Great. And, um, 
there's some elements in this that I just wasn't expecting. So is the camera loaded? Because I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's not necessarily what we consider a conventional horror comedy, but um, I, I wouldn't be offended if somebody put it in there. But I guess that brings up the other question. Is this a horror movie? I think so. I, I mean, like it, oh, go ahead. Well, it, well, I mean, all I want to say is, yeah, I think it's a horror movie. And when you when you're dealing with uh, people making a harsh reality of you know what they thought was real, uh, or actually in this case, what they thought was fake turns out to actually be real, and people are dying because of it, and you're you know you're dealing with uh, an aspect that's a vampire. Um, I definitely think it's 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 in the horror genre. What were you gonna say, Bray? I like to think of this movie as kind of like a mockumentary in a way. And that's just kind of how I always take it. It's like a movie about making a movie, um, and it just happens to have like a real-life vampire. So this is the uh, this is Spinal Tap for horror this movies? This is Spinal This is This yeah. is the vampire, yeah. Well, I like that. Yeah. And I also wanted to bring – like, why doesn't uh, Eddie Izzard, like, act in stuff anymore? Because I thought he was – I always think he's amazing in this movie. Uh, he's, was, yeah, what? he had a great part when uh, when he first uh, meets uh, Orlock. He has this, you know, he he's actually genuinely scared, and you can tell he's supposed to be scared. And then they come up to him after the scene is ended and tell him how well he just acted being scared. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I I did great, didn't I? You know, it's just like you could tell, you know, he he really played off well of, of you know, acting like he knew that he was acting being scared. You know, it's like there's a lot of meta involved in this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. when they're, they open up the door to the castle and he has to walk in and they're like, he slowly walks in and they're like, okay, go, go, you know, and it's like you can tell he is genuinely frightened um, it's like keep going. He's yeah, like yeah. going too slow. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, I I can't remember the last. Uh, he was in Valkyrie, right? Eddie Izzard with the Tom Tom Cruise vehicle. Because I can't. I'm I'm with you. Is that a movie? Yeah, Valkyrie. Yeah. Was that a movie? <laughs> Shut it. Um, Tom Cruise is amazing. Just, I don't want to get there. But uh, no, I I'm with you, Eddie. I I found even Udo Kier. I loved Udo Kier in this film as uh, Alvin Grau. And uh, I just really like um, all of the interactions between the characters. Again, um, Willem Dafoe, I think, steals every scene he's in. I guess he got hired as the Green Goblin in Spider-Man after the producers watched his performance mm. in this movie. Yeah. Which, which can, you can totally see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, Udo Kier is... Um, you know, granted, he's he's kind of in some schlock sometimes. But, I mean, I think uh, I think had he been given more to do in this movie i think he would have shined more uh than he did but uh you know I, I guess he did as well as he could for for what he you know had to work with sure no that's true well i mean do you have any other thoughts about this um guys uh, some notes or anything uh i, I do. do do you have something you wanted to say bill bill <laughs> what did i say brad did I say bill? <laughs> is yeah. bill on do we got another guess what <laughs> no, no. No, I mean, I, I literally could gush about this movie like for the next two or three hours. No one wants to hear that. I mean, I, I really think that, you, you know Tarantino didn't write this, right? No, he didn't. But okay, I, just I, make sure. <laughs> but you know, you you contend that uh, Def, this is Defoe's movie. I, I contend this is John Malkovich's movie. But you know, it it doesn't really matter. I, I just think that you know Malkovich can can uh, play John Malkovich in a lot of things, and I think this one. 
he actually it actually helps the film that he's kind of being John Malkovich. Uh, well, no, I'll, I'll give it to you. There, there are some scenes with him in it that I think are very scary. I, I think there are, there are times when he is even more scary than um, you know the Max Shrek character, who's you know all in this vampiric costume. Um, he's very good in it, but to me, Willem Dafoe, I don't know. He he almost he does it perfectly as far as creating some sympathy for this character and the loneliness of it, especially with that speech. But then to be so vicious and um, I don't know, he just he he brings comedy, he brings scariness, he brings a dramatic element to it. Whereas John Malkovich, I don't want to say he's one note. He's he is a great character in this film. But to see Willem Dafoe bring all of those elements and make it work, that's why I think that this is his movie. I kind of felt like um, Malkovich had a little bit more of a character arc in a sense because he – I mean, granted, his his character did start out as a – you know, start out and ended as the same kind of highly driven director. I got to make this movie. I got to get it done. However, the, the level of that – extreme you know extremely uh it it just increased exponentially as it went on to the point where he's in a room full of of dead people trying to get them to do things for him to assist him with finishing this movie even though he knows on film they're dead you know i mean it's 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 pretty remarkable of of how much he loses it by the end but i mean there's 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 a few things um i could have done without the five minutes of intro in this movie of nothing but just the pictures and music i think it was a little excessive um you know not that it takes away anything from the rest of the film but it, you know it's like a little bit excessive for me are you talking about um, the credit sequence yeah the, credit, yeah, the opening the, credits are very yeah yeah they're a little bit too slow for my taste but i did like how they incorporated and and it's seemingly actual clips from the original nosferatu uh in between various scenes of this film you know, like they showed a little part of that scene with the carriage that was cloaked, you right. know, and they, and they showed some various scenes from the original film in there in between different scenes of this movie. Um, but I did find it odd, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but there's certain scenes where it shows them filming, uh, and then it changes to black and white, and, you know, iris in, you know, like he, he zooms in the iris on the shot and stuff like that. Some of those shots are, like, identical to Nosferatu on how it was because we had just watched it, so it was really easy to remember. And then there's other shots that are off, you know, like the angle is off, and I don't know if that was on purpose or not. Well, yeah, even towards uh, sort of the climax where um, she's supposed to be in bed holding a stake, uh, and they're shooting, you know, the the Count Orlock death sequence. That sequence is different than the original Nosferatu because she's not holding a wooden stake or anything of that nature. So, yeah, I, I picked up on that, too, that there was a, a balance of, oh, this is an exact replica of a shot from Nosferatu where this is Nosferatu, but um, it has it's different. I mean, do you, you think that was intentional? I, I'm not really sure exactly because even the part where um... – uh, spoiler alert—he he, Nosferatu dies, uh, <laughs> Count Orlok dies, and and even that his uh, how he's standing there at the window is backwards in this compared to what it was in Nosferatu. He's pointed the opposite direction. I don't know if you. Yeah, this well, and I gotta I gotta wonder because um, it was the stake thing that made me think this that they start having 
they set up the shot as it being similar to the actual shot in Nosferatu, but putting these other elements in it so that it feels like it's part of a different film. And where this movie goes, obviously, you know, Max Schreck is not a vampire in real life. He went on to do other films and stage after Nosferatu. Um, Greta lived in real life. And, um, you know, uh, I think in this film, the uh, Alvin Grau, played by Udo Kier, dies in Shadow of the Vampire at the end. In real life, Alvin Grau didn't die till like the 60s or 70s. But um, I and wonder... Plus, uh, and plus, Nock was uh, in the original Nosferatu. Uh, the guy Nock there was... Uh, Played by Jim Carrey, and he's still in movies now. You can tell <laughs> he, was, true, yeah. you know, he had a lot of makeup in that movie, and uh, I, he looks a lot younger than than he must be. Yeah, um, but I wonder if they started, you know, changing the Nosferatu film that they were making from the real thing to kind of lead the audience into this other territory of fiction. If that makes any sense. That was my thought. Yeah. I, I just think that they like they, because it seems like. Like that first scene that they did with the uh, Greta with the cat, like it was pretty much spot on. And then it seemed like as the film got going and it got deeper into the film, like it, it seems like it changes up more to kind of separate itself from Nosferatu. Yeah, um, like it's it's happening in a different reality or alternate yeah, universe sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I really loved – I mean there's certain things that I really liked uh, about this that were completely different than – the uh you know then things that happened in Nosferatu I mean most of them because it was behind the scenes stuff that obviously you would have never seen uh having only seen that other movie uh but I mean like when he cuts his finger at the dinner table and uh Count Orlock there like you know jumps and starts you know trying to have the blood off of his finger and stuff how they basically lead you to believe and maybe it's true that he actually did cut his finger because Malkovich yells at him as he's cutting the bread and he cuts his own finger and gets up and he you know he's trying to he's yelling at him to stay in character so they can continue to film it and I thought that was great yeah That's I love the kind that of stuff that I love yeah I love that sequence uh where he's asking for makeup and he wants makeup himself and <laughs> no yeah. makeup for you I mean not funny <laughs> and uh, and he asks and he kind of tells him you know like uh he tries to give him his motivation and he's trying to tell him you know like you know what's something that you desire that you cannot have and and you know and of course his response is is the is the light of the sun you know it's like I thought that was great yeah the gosh there's so many this is one of the few films that you could probably pick eight or nine different snippets out of it and just show it to somebody and go, this is an example of great screenwriting or, or great acting. Um, it, it, this is, like I said, I, I just don't think people talk about this film enough, especially in our circle. Yeah. They, this, this movie, I'm, I'm glad we, I'm glad we visited. And I think this is a perfect companion to the other movie besides the obvious fact that it's about it. But I mean, seeing the two together really, uh, it really gives you a lot of background on on what was happening. Because there's a lot of scenes they don't talk about in Shadow of the Vampire, um, and a lot of characters that you don't see anything about. That I, I'm I'm glad I had seen it because the movie Shadow of the Vampire follows the order of Nosferatu, but it leaves certain things out that you remember having seen Nosferatu recently, or at least you know, at least I did. Right. You know, so I I knew the logical order of where they were going. Well, let me ask you both this. Um, do you think you can enjoy Shadow of the Vampire without having seen Nosferatu? What do you think, Brad? Uh, it's tough. It's it's definitely – when you have something with context, it, it's always better. I think this film does stand on its own, but I definitely think if you're going to get that last 
25% of the film, you probably need to at least um, have seen Nosferatu at some point in time. Um, it was nice for us because, like, I watched Nosferatu one day and Shadow of Vampire the next day, and it's like, it's pretty much, it's really easy to pick up on all the stuff we talked about. So I would say yes. I would say that you probably, you, it's a good film that stands on its own, but you also need to have the companion piece as well if you want to get all of it. Right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how I did it, too. What would you – so are, are you, do you agree with Brad or do you think it's not necessary? Uh, don't you mean Bill? Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. No. Do you agree with Bill? Or? <laughs> trying to cover up here. Come on. No, 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 I was okay. staring at Willem, <laughs> Willem <laughs> Dafoe and, I, and then I got Brad – I got Bill in my head for some reason. Uh, at any rate, but yeah, I think I watched um, I watched these uh, one day and then the next uh, just just like Brad did. And uh, I think that it was kind of the perfect setup for it because I actually had seen – now, I hadn't seen Nosferatu all the way through. But obviously, you know, like I said before, there's so many iconic things in that movie that you recognize things from it, whether you'd seen the movie or not. So in that regard, when I originally saw Shadow of the Vampire years and years ago, probably in 2000, um, it, it made a certain sense to me, but nothing like it did this time. You know, it, it made a huge difference to me watching watching both movies together. Okay, well, I, I I think it stands on its own. I think it's a great film. You wouldn't have had to have seen Nosferatu, but I would encourage anybody that um, if if you haven't seen this movie, go and watch Nosferatu, and then um, watch this. I, I you know, Brad, you couldn't have put put two movies together. I think better. I'm glad this week uh, kind of came about because I'm really glad we got to watch these two films within such short time of each other because I think I appreciate Nosferatu a little bit more because of Shadow of the Vampire, and I certainly appreciate Shadow of the Vampire more for seeing Nosferatu. So I think, I think it was a good You're choice, welcome. man. Well, um, Give me about six weeks, and I'll come up with another one. Okay. That's well, about fi- my cycle. Final thoughts uh, from Reverend Scott on Shadow of the Vampire. What do you got? Um, I was legitimately excited to watch this, uh, especially having – uh, after having seen Nosferatu, and 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 I think this is, uh, I think it does stand on its own, at least to an extent. As long as you have some sort of basic knowledge of where it's coming from, I think it stands on its own in that regard. Um, if you have no idea what Nosferatu is and you have no clue, well, why are you listening to this right now anyway? Then I, I'll help. <laughs> it. But so so I think if you're listening to this right now, then you should you should watch this movie because I think I think the acting is well done. I think it's very clever. And all the things that it interweaves into—is um, that a word? Uh, everything it is that, it, that is that is interwoven. Uh, yeah, that's a new word too. <laughs> everything that it put together in that it says happened in behind the scenes or things you know that that you would never have thought of. Uh, you know, like them cutting his finger and having that be real, you know, like all that stuff was on purpose and, and everything that happened in the background and it, everything is great in this movie that it really feels like it's legitimately behind the scenes, even if you uh, look past the fact that it's supposed to be a real quote unquote vampire. But, you know, I mean, even beyond that, I think it's I think it's definitely a, a great watch. Awesome. Well, Brad, final thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. I think this is one of the better acted movies that we've had in a long time. Um, and I, I can appreciate that, um, because I appreciate the art of acting. Like I'm, I'm not an actor, believe it or not. Um, so, uh, so I can appreciate when I, when I see it done really, really well by people that I really like. So, 
Um, yeah, this is probably uh, this is not my favorite movie, but it's it's definitely up there for me as one of my one of my better better films that I enjoy. So, well, I could uh, I could go on and on, but I'm just gonna say ditto to both of you. Um, it's a fantastic <laughs> film. Shadow of the Vampire is amazing. I really wish Willem Dafoe had gotten an Academy Award for this. Um, but you know, we don't have a time machine, and we 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 don't vote in the Academy. So, uh, well, you know what you know what time it is, right, gentlemen? It is it is matchup time. Yes. Uh, I was dreading this. Yeah, me too. Um, yes, it's that part of the show where we have to decide which is the victor. Is it Nosferatu, um, a symphony of horror from 1922, or are we going to choose Shadow of the Vampire from 2000? Now, since there's three of us here, there's got to be a clear winner. Um, Uh-oh. There's no ties. I think we're going to start with our guest of honor, um, Reverend Scott. You so, had to do this, in you? Yeah. If if you had to choose between these two, you had to pick one, which one is it? Okay. If I had to pick – now, give me a second here. I'm going to make this brief as I can. If I had to pick which movie I enjoyed more, I have to say I enjoyed the more modern, the one that's you know clever and everything about – Shadow of the Vampire. I think I enjoyed that movie more. Now, when you're just talking about a matchup between these two movies specifically, I have to go back with what I said earlier of how if Shadow of the Vampire is something that I've done and Nosferatu is the outside the cinema where I draw all my source material from, obviously I have to go with Nosferatu because there's there what I do doesn't exist without where I got it from and I think Shadow of the Vampire obviously doesn't exist without Nosferatu so in that regard I'm I'm going to give the heads to Nosferatu because it, it it was the pioneer wow okay um well I'll go ahead and give my my vote we'll we'll have Brad uh decide um, if, if we're doing the comparison of outside the cinema and the Reverend Scott segments, I love you, Bill and Chris, Reverend Scott's funnier. I'm just saying. Ooh, <laughs> so, please. uh, I may not if, let him know that you said that. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm with you. I probably really had more enjoyment with Shadow of the Vampire. I think it's along my taste of what I like for film, but I have to say that Nosferatu, especially this time of watching it, and I, I got to give it to Kino International. The print that they put out there—it's one of the best DVD purchases I've uh, I've done in a long time, and uh, I am just totally enamored with Nosferatu right now. So I'm gonna, I'm going to give it to that. So the question is: Is Brad going to agree, or is he going to be on his own little island? Um, before I give my my uh, choice here, I just want to say the 2000 winner of Best Supporting Actor did go to Benicio del Toro for Traffic. So I'm actually okay with that. <laughs> What? No. Willem Dafoe. I'm just saying. It's, traffic's not that bad. So, oh, no, anyway. it's a good movie, but it's we're talking Willem Dafoe here. Green okay. Goblin. He should have won. <laughs> yeah, this um, is Green Goblin. Uh, I guess I'm going to be on my own, um, obviously, because I think uh, Shadow of the Vampire is a, uh, is a much more enjoyable film for me. Um, I know I'm supposed to be like all um, pretentious and, and snobby and say, oh, I love... 1932 or 22 um, German expressionist films, but uh, I like uh, all sorts of stuff. And I, I got to say that uh, I appreciate Nosferatu for what it is, and I know its importance. Um, but 
as a film that I want to go back and watch again, uh, Shadow of a Vampire is uh, easily the winner. But I'll be on my own. That's okay. You guys are wrong. <laughs> well, I think that's what's so good about this matchup, though, is like, just I mean, there there are I I agree with everything Brad said, and you know I'm not going to change my mind or anything, but <laughs> it's not that. Good. I, I still definitely I definitely I definitely agree with everything you said about uh, Shadow of the Vampire, though. I think it's a, a, a great companion to Nosferatu. Yeah, I I hate picking between the two because I almost feel like um, you just got to watch them both together. Yeah, I I think that's probably what I would say is like just watch them both. Like they're both about an hour and a half, so you can watch both of them in three hours. I mean that's pretty – I mean you're not – for companion pieces, like that's amazing. You know what? Reverend Scott's here, and um, we can just change the rules. They both win. How's that? All right. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So our winner is Nosferatu and Shadow the Vampire. It's a draw. Um, this will be the first time in history with three people that we have a draw. Um, <laughs> because I, I just, I hate choosing between the two. Not that they're entirely different films. I think, I think they're both great horror movies. But, uh, gosh, I just, I, compared to last week when we had to watch Inside an Audition, I just, that was a rough week. Um, so, and I think we all lost watching those two films. We did. Um, but these are just, uh, our, our masterpieces in their own right. And I'm, I'm really happy we put them together. So we'll, we'll call them both winners. Good. Everyone's I'm happy with that. Uh-huh. Yes. Right. Well, um, Reverend Scott, I am so thankful that you could come on and talk some movies with us. Your, your feedback, especially with Drive and Final Destination, I was totally blown away about your film knowledge and, and I don't know, your film criticism is really good too. So I'm super happy we could get you on these two films. My ability to write down things that I just literally read five seconds ago is amazing. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm glad we were able to make this work as far as, you know, there's lots of stuff going on right now that, um, you know, I'm super busy and uh, I'm too good to be on every podcast all the time. And so you said that this is the pretension. So I thought, well, that's perfect. There you go. Well, I'm glad we got you on this one um, because I think <laughs> I think it takes a little bit of a not a pretentious mindset, but you, you have to be really critical um, to tackle these two films. Um, so I was su- yeah, I was very excited uh, to to get on here and talk about these two. I think this is uh, you know this the, you know you know so I, you can you can tell when there, there's there's sometimes you'll watch a couple movies and, and and put them together and you can tell like well it's just what you can do to get the words out there and say what you thought and move on with your life. But this I was legitimately excited to talk about these two. Yeah. Well, um, Brad, should we let the listeners know what the following week is going to be for the, the third act in Spooktober? Yeah. I knew you were going to ask me that, so I should have looked. I have no idea. Okay. So, well, next week um, we are going to pick uh, – I'm excited about this. We're actually going to pick a film from one of my favorite directors, Dario Argento, and we're going to do a li- something a little bit offbeat. Um, instead of talking about something like uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage or Deep Red or any of his giallos, even Suspiria, we're going to tackle Dario Gento's Inferno, and we're going to match that up to, I believe it's from 1977. Um, it's a Japanese film called House, or Hauzu. Yeah. Um, so that Asu. Should be, Asu. Uh, that should be an interesting matchup, because they're both films that are pretty messed up. Um, they're not yeah. as messed up as, you know, <laughs> messed up Crazy Bitch Cinema week that we had, um, but they are, are extremely... 
visual movies, I think, and uh, hopefully we can get uh, the guest on. I'm not going to announce it because we're still in talks with it. It was yeah. it was tough to get Reverend Scott because you gotta you gotta get in the waiting line for that one. So we're in the waiting line for somebody else. But uh, that'll be the next set of films that we bring on for Spooktober. Uh, Brad, you want to tell everybody about how to get a hold of us? Uh, yeah, our uh, our email account is um, moviematchup at gmail.com, and you can also find us over at uh, reboundradio.com is our website. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, follow me at Yenchan Troy. How do they get a hold of you, Brad? Uh, Inglorious Brad. And if um, we're starting to put a lineup together for November, uh, for us, uh, we're going to be at Whorehound that month. Are you going to that? I know you got Rock and Shock. Are you going to try and make it to Cincy? Um, as much as I'd like to, I don't know that it's going to happen. It's uh, There's a lot going on around that time over here, so... It's kind of tough. It's uh, right around my birthday, so I'm sure, you know, there's a lot going on for that. Um, sure. Well, yeah, they probably <laughs> shut down the state of Illinois for you. <laughs> yeah, just to I celebrate. Think, yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, I, I I think luckily a lot of people that weren't originally going to Rock and Shock. I think there's a lot of people going to that that weren't originally going to go. So I think a lot of the people that I was excited to see, I think, are probably going to be showing up. Uh, in in Boston area there, so I don't know that I'm going to be able to get to the Cincinnati as much as I really wanted to. Um, but yeah, luckily at least we're going to get get to go to Rock and Shock though. That's awesome! I can't wait to hear the uh, outside the cinema episodes from from there. What we're going to try and do in November, we've already had one suggestion. Um, somebody had offered uh, Reservoir Dogs versus um, City on Fire. So November, I don't know. We could do a crime month, and if anybody has some suggestions of some good gangster crime matchups or uh, something uh, a little bit fiction. <clears throat> inter- it's not going to be the Tarantino month we'll do one Tarantino film okay <laughs> we just so choose wisely yeah and I'd, so far we got Reservoir Dogs so um, but anybody else has any other suggestions maybe shoot them our way we're still trying to like I said put a nice little list together for November we'd love to hear what you think that we should cover but um, you know with that said I want to thank Reverend Scott again man I, I hope you can find time some somewhere down the road to jump back on here and talk some more movies we loved having you on this week yeah i think i I think i'd love to come back and uh you know and if uh if anybody here in this right now is uh you know agrees or disagrees with the stuff that we said i'd I'd love to to hear some feedback sent into the show here so i can hear you guys read it later on too um i think i've said all i'm gonna say about them but somebody's bound to think something about these movies sure well and how does everybody get a hold of you um, if you really got to get a hold of me or want to see some of the ridiculous things that I tend to say on the Twitter, um, I'm on there at uh, Reverend underscore Scott. Um, I'm occasionally on the uh, Palaver, P-A-L-A-V-R dot com uh, forums. Um, there's outside the cinema dot com, are you serious uh, dot com. I think those are the easiest places to try to uh, get a hold of me. And definitely listen to those two shows. I mean, after you're done listening to Movie Matchup, go download Outside the Cinema. Bill, Chris, and Reverend Scott put on a fantastic show. There's only 193 episodes uh, by this point, so you might as well get all of them. Sure, that's true. And Are You Serious with uh, Chris Frank, awesome show, too. Um, They just had their uh, big three-year anniversary, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, that was a great – I think it was – episode 162, I believe. Um, And, uh, yeah, that was a great episode. 
Yeah, your your segment on there was absolutely hilarious too. So <laughs> um, that was absolutely great because I didn't have to do a whole lot of work. I just had everybody else do it for me. No, that was good. Um, well, hey, Brad, anything else you want to leave our uh, fans? I'm sure we have a fan, or we probably got two fans out there somewhere. I'm at least one. See, yeah. there's one. Um, um, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I know how much uh, our show is being downloaded just from our website numbers and. Uh, it's actually very uh, appreciative that people are listening and uh, downloading. So uh, keep uh, keep downloading our show. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback, like Troy said, um, your matchup ideas. Um, you can catch Troy on the regular movie matchup with Charlie. And um, Charlie and I are going to try to get back on a regular schedule with our show, uh, Good Day, Sir. So hopefully, um, you know, just keep heading over to Rebound Radio. We have a bunch of uh, podcasts over there. So do that, like, every day. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'm actually back into the writing stuff now, so you'll see more movie reviews on a consistent basis since we got some scheduling uh, lined out. So, again, check us out at reboundradio.com. Uh, check out all of our podcast friends over at uh, palaver.com. There's some great episodes there, too. But with that, I am going to uh, bid everybody a good afternoon. Again, thank you, Reverend Scott, for being on. Peace and love, guys. And we'll see you all later. Alvita Zane. Alvita Zane. I think the only thing I forgot to talk about, and I still want to ask you guys what you thought, and I think you kind of touched on this already, but they were talking about the Black Plague or just the plague in general, mm-hmm. and was there anything to do with these rats, or was it just merely a coincidence that these rats happened to be everywhere that this quote-unquote plague was, and it was only just Orlock killing people? Well, the name Nosferatu um, came from a book. And um, it like a vampire figure, I think it shows up actually in Bram Stoker's Dracula too. And the author um, translated Nosferatu as the undead one, but that's a misrepresentation because um, Nosferatu comes from Nosophorus, which is uh, in Greek mythology is the bringer of disease. So mm, okay. the plague and the rats kind of play into that uh, mythos of... Um, here he's he brings how do I say this? His name in and of itself is the bringer of the plague. So while he is taking the life essence from these people by sucking their blood out, um, the the rats and everything spread disease and plague throughout. The it's sort of metaphorical too. Okay, because yeah, it kind of lent itself to you know like like how much of this was him, how much of it was the rats, or was it you know only one, uh, was it only him? And you know obviously that I think that was one of the very few things in the original Nosferatu that was kind of a um, I don't know I want to say metaphor or whatever, um, but it's one of the few things in there that wasn't clearly out in the story. Yeah, and I, I think that he is able to hide within that where nobody says, oh, it's a vampire simply because of the plague. But then um, Nock is sort of hunted down 
And I think even in one of the versions that I watched, they call him a vampire. And so that's why they're chasing him and they blame him for the plague. Right. Yeah. Because they, they don't know. make him the scapegoat. Yeah. But, uh, I, I've just, I was so glad about this, this Kino version. I mean, like a, there's so many good documentaries on it and even the little booklet has a lot of information. Uh, and I'm just impressed that this thing exists. I mean, when you really start going back and looking at the history and, um, it, it, it's amazing that this thing has survived. I mean, two world wars and legal battles and everything's supposed to be destroyed. It's crazy. Yeah, it 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 made it a lot farther than the E.T. Nintendo game made it. <laughs> this is a good point. <laughs> Last time I saw you, you was going to have a talk with some fellas. Next thing I hear, one of them's dead. Conversation sort of went downhill. Um, you got to keep in mind, I watched Martyrs, Inside, Irreversible, and a Serbian film all within like three days of each other. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> So I kind of felt like, man, all these people seen all these cool, cool, you know, foreign movies and crazy movies and stuff. It's like I got caught up and I watched all those and it's like, fuck me. <laughs> what do you think so, of Martyrs? Um, Martyrs is one of those movies that I think I will actually go revisit. Out of all those, I think by far the worst one uh, as far as I don't want to revisit because I don't want to go through watching again is probably Irreversible. I think it made me yeah. feel the now, Serbian film, obviously, there's so many outrageously terrible things in that movie, but it was made well, and you almost get on board with the main character enough to where I think I could probably watch that again at some point. Not irreversible. Now, as far as, as Martyrs go, I think there's a lot more going on in Martyrs than just what you saw happening. You know, I mean, there's 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 lots of, you know, religious uh, undertones and whatnot in that film, and and there's two almost distinctly different parts to that movie. You know, like the the beginning part with the two girls, and then the second part, you know, with with her torture and everything. Um, I think I could watch that one again, and and I enjoyed it uh, as much as you can. Uh, Inside felt more like a uh, more like uh, what was the other one? Uh, the other French uh, uh, High Tension. Oh, inside, yeah. inside kind of felt like that, and it, it was a little more "quote unquote" Hollywood than the others. It, it seems more uh, over the top and, and gory, uh, just for the sake of being bloody and stuff. And uh, so I think, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. The, the definitely not. I would definitely not uh, recommend seeing all of those together, though. <laughs> Christ, oh, I can't believe you watched them all. Like that, that, there's no way. Inside was inside was rough, <laughs> but I mean, we, it was funny because we were. Um, I forgot who originally we were gonna have on, and then uh, my wife Tabitha, uh, she loves Martyrs, and um, we watched. I was watching Audition. She sat down and watched that with me, and then um, we turned around and I said, "Well, if you want to be on this week, we're gonna watch Inside." And I had already seen Inside. I said, "But it's it's a pretty rough watch, so you'll have to hear that episode." It was kind of. Uh, it was kind of funny to hear her reaction on some things too. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I think definitely that was uh, um, I think that was the most quote unquote fun. <laughs> if you could use that word to describe any of them, which you kind of can't, but uh, it wasn't as uh, it wasn't as uh, didn't have as many funny moments as say High Tension did, but it was definitely just as gritty and gory. Yeah, I just man, there's. Some of those French movies like Martyrs Insides after that stuff, I'm just – I don't know, man. French make me nervous. <laughs> they go there. 
And I have not seen Serbian film yet, and I don't, I don't know. It, it based on all the descriptions, I don't know if I'm going to go out and seek it out. I just, I don't know. If I don't know, it's, uh, I, I think I, had, I had heard a little bit about certain things that happened in that movie before I saw it, but not everything. And, um, if you listen, well, see, they spoil it completely in the outside the cinema episode, but they do a whole episode on the movie. Right. And um, if you've already had everything spoiled for you, maybe, maybe hearing that will give you a good idea. But um, I think probably if you could, if you can stomach watching movies like Inside and Martyrs and Irreversible and stuff, I, I don't know. Did you see Irreversible? Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, was a, that was a one and done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you can stomach that kind of stuff, then I think you can definitely stomach this. Ah, oh, God, you I know, don't it's, know. It's, it's, um, I think it's it's made so well, even by a first-time director, a first-time filmmaker. You know, it's like it's put together so well that, um, you know, like it, it – you know there are things in it that are a little bit over the top as far as wow I can't believe they fucking just showed me that, but yeah like the way they present it in the way that he does all this stuff but he doesn't remember any of it because he was only under the influence of this drug and he does all this terrible stuff and this terrible stuff happens to him and then he finds these tapes that he watches the stuff that he did you know that he did and that he doesn't remember. Uh-huh. And so you you're with this character that isn't necessarily um, the most terrible guy, and you kind of feel like that because you don't see these things happening as he's doing. You're seeing him witness it and him experiencing it for the first time, even though he's seeing himself do it. And so it, it kind of keeps you on board with the main character more so than you probably should be. And I think that's kind of why I didn't you know I didn't uh, I didn't hate the film. And fade to black.